The Cosmic Adverse Podcast, written and read by Nick Perry. Book 1, Fireside Flush. Chapter 3, Pearl. Sir Seraphin walked out of his uncle's abode later that evening to find himself engulfed in torchlight. The other villagers had already lined the road with paper lanterns to celebrate the minstrel's upcoming performance. All of Dutoma's homes had been decorated in a festive manner. Well, all homes except for the Seraphins. The road was filled with people meandering their way towards the main hall because tonight they would all be treated to a rare event. It wasn't often that the minstrels traveled this far into Afrit's jungles. Hell, it wasn't often that minstrels wandered their way through Afrit at all. The Keeperdom's nomadic tribes varied in their reception of the muses, ranging from open arms to instant death for the musical caravan's members. It was the primary reason why minstrels were so happy when they stumbled upon Tuatoma. The village was a black sheep of civilization in an otherwise dangerous wilderness. Sir looked around and found many of the village elders, who had only hours ago been involved in heated debate, now sharing laughs and wine with one another. He sifted through the multitude of people that had, and had nearly arrived at the main hall when he was tackled by Vera Rahada. Sir! Vera screamed in a playful manner. The girl was a harvest younger than Sir, and she exuded a kind of playfulness that the boy found refreshing. Her long, thin brown hair covered Sir's face as he moved to escape the girl's grasp. He grabbed her shoulders playfully as Vera's cheerful green eyes looked back at him. I swear, Vera, Sir said, pushing the girl aside and getting to his feet. One of these days you're going to kill me. He held out his hand, and the petite daughter of Zell and Pavana Rahata, the resident tatter and his wife, gladly accepted. Oh no, Vera replied in a sarcastic tone as she got to her feet. I wouldn't want that. We haven't even gotten married yet. I haven't had your babies. All of my plans for us would be kaput. Sir gave his closest girlfriend a sly look. Whoa, slow down there, creeper. You've already spread enough rumors for one romance. The passers-by worked around the two, snickering and making comments that the two should get a room. A room? Sir's mind wandered. He pointed to the main hall into which the others were funneling. Are you ready for tonight? He asked Vera. I sure hope so. It's our first date. Fitty cried from behind Sir and Vera. The boy wrapped an arm around Sir's neck. Balu and Lavu were, of course, close behind Tuatoma's resident troublemaker. Viti continued, It's so good to finally be able to do a dinner and a show together, sir. I'm sorry, Viti, but I might be taken tonight, sir replied, pointing a thumb towards Vera. What? Viti said, turning his attention to Vera. Vera, this is my man, you bitch. The others gasped at his comeback. Vera's demeanor changed from a cheery girl having fun with a longtime friend to a woman ready for a catfight. Vitty, what would you do with him? You don't even know how to handle what limited resources your keeper bitch provided to you. Vitty smirked. Vera, I know exactly how to work with what I've got. I don't need anyone's help. The others doubled over with laughter. Uh, hey, Vitty, Lavu said. I, uh, I wouldn't be advertising that if I were you. Vitty thought for a moment about what he had just said, and the smirk widened across his face. Fine, then. He's yours, he exclaimed. Vitti removed his arm around Sir and pushed the farmer into Vera. The boy walked past the scene and continued his way into the main hall. Balu and Labu followed through the open doors. I owe you one, Sir said to his victor. You owe me a whole lifetime's worth, Vera replied. She smiled at Sir before yanking him by the hand into the main hall. Come on, let's get a good seat. The main hall had been converted from the barren meeting hall that it had been during the elders' meeting. 
A black curtain now hung over the small platform at the front of the hall, effectively converting it into a stage. Sir could only imagine what elaborate costumes and instruments awaited the villagers behind that black veil. Technicolor streamers hung about the hall's ceiling, and carpets had been laid out on the dirt floor to provide somewhat comfortable seating. Some of the villagers had been smart enough to bring their own pillows to sit on. Others were sprawled out on the carpet, taking up three or four spots. Some had brought food and drink to share with their fellow neighbors. All in all, it was a lively crowd. Sir knew that it'd be a night worth remembering. Vera found two spots near the center of the audience and plopped Sir down next to her. It's about to start, she said, barely able to contain her excitement. Sir looked around and saw familiar faces all around him. He looked back and saw Roland Chahal with his aunt and uncle sitting on pillows near the back wall. He caught Roland's eye and gave a friendly wave. Roland's face brightened and returned the gesture. Benki Kaggle, the village's blacksmith, walked around the main hall, extinguishing the torches that lined the walls. Everyone cheered as the hall darkened. Vera squeezed Sir's arm as Kaggle continued his march. When he had finished, only a few torches remained lit around the stage. It was here that the first minstrel revealed himself, from behind the black curtain, to a fury of applause. The minstrel wore an ivory mask, adorned with black and red ornaments and painted details. He wore multicolored pieces of cloth and leather. His distinguishing feature of this costume was a crimson cape that he wore like a matador courting a bull. The minstrel raised his hand to silence the crowd, who did so immediately. Ladies and gentlemen, the minstrel began, I am Kension the Muse. Tonight we celebrate life, happiness, and destiny. A quick round of applause rumbled through the hall. Tonight we shower you with the songs and customs of strange lands. Stranger than Afarit, someone in the back of the hall yelled. The crowd gave a quick, appreciative laugh. The minstrel continued, giving no heckler no attention. We shall interact with you tonight as you interact with each other. We will share our songs, and you must share yours. But first, we must start our journey with the ceremony of all peoples in Avera, the origin of us. The crowd roared. Sir remembered when the last time the minstrels came, they too had started with Navera's origin story. He found it intriguing, but a little antiquated for his tastes. The minstrel quieted the crowd again, and now the hall took a somber tone as he spoke the words of Navera's origin. In the beginning, there was the Creator, and there was darkness. On the first day, the Creator pulled light from the darkness, bringing it to the universe, and it was good. The Creator toiled away at the light, and he split it into the four elements, fire, water, earth, and wind. From the fire, the Creator formed the shape of our world, but it was too hot for the Creator to hold. So he poured water onto the flame, and the fire cooled. And from this came the earth and the rocks on which we stand. The Creator looked upon this new world and spoke its name, Nevera. He pulled himself close to Nevera, and the Creator's breath pushed across the sky. This push was the wind, and it was also good. And thus the four elements became whole and formed from light. A cheer rumbled through the crowd in the main hall as Kanchon took a dramatic pause. Sir clapped his hands, adding to the commotion of his fellow Teutomans. The minstrel raised his arms in a welcoming fashion. He gauged the audience's reception and allowed it to subside before continuing. Kanchon then recited the next stanza. But the creator was not yet satisfied. He formed the hills and the valleys, the oceans and the rivers. 
He sowed the seeds of trees and grass, but still the Creator was not yet satisfied. The elements required too much of the Creator's time to control and to manage, so He created man to keep whole His creation. And the first humans became the four keepers of Nevera. To Tanto Shugara, He gave the heat of the flame. The villagers who were born under the sign of the flame roared with applause and cheered at this line. To Clermela Fervenza, he gave the chase of the water. The local water magic users whooped and hollered louder than the fire users. To Trauber Kota Trauber, he gave the weight of the earth. The low rumble of voices and stomping came from the earth movers in Tutoma. The main hall shook as if there were an earthquake. To Samuel Kagi, he gave the force of wind. Finally, the wind magic users chanted the name Kagi three times before being quieted by the minstrel. The keeper gave forth the power of the elements to their subjects, and their subjects responded in fealty. For the power of the elements that are bestowed unto man, let no god tear from him. The whole hall cheered at this line. It was important, sir supposed, that the keepers allowed the rest of them to use magic. It was a birthright for all but the boy who tilled the farm. Sir had not cheered for any of the four keepers. He wondered which of them he would be cheering the next time the minstrels visited. Kinshan the Muse egged his audience on. The beginning of the minstrel's performance looked less like a funeral and more like a pep rally. Everyone in the village had had their keeper to root for. It was each person's keeper, after all, who controlled magic and the elements. That magic had proven invaluable and necessary for the village's survival. Kinshan hushed the audience one last time so he could finish his recitation. The minstrel started to rush through the ending. He realized that this opening ceremony had started to run a bit long. The creator became the keeper of keepers, but he was not yet satisfied, for he gave each keeper an area of Nevera to call home. To Tandro Shugara, he gave the western jungles of Afarit. To Clermela Fervenza, he gave the northeast swamps and icy terrains of Malin. To Trauber Kota Trauber, he gave the endless deserts of the east. To Samuel Kagi, he gave the southern isles of Cornelia. These became the four keeperdoms of Nevera. In the middle of Nevera, the creator placed his capital city, Lethia. And in it, he built his throne upon the black spire. The creator then looked upon his land from his throne and was satisfied. He then left the world of Nevera in the hands of the keepers and returned to his place in darkness. But the creator's black spire awaits his return. May the black spire stay empty! A voice in the center of the hall yelled at the end of the minstrel's monologue. The lone voice was cheered, and the main hall chanted the phrase over and over again. Kanchon lifted his arms once again. Sparklers spewed from his feet and into the audience. Sir looked at Vera, whose eyes had brightened by the fireworks display. She laughed and cheered along with the rest of the villagers. Sir mimicked her open smile and clapped his hands together awkwardly. The night was in full tilt. The concert had begun. Drums sounded from behind the curtains, and several of the band members made their entrance, each wearing a mask more ornate than the previous. The masks were slightly different takes on the keepers. Tandros the bull... Clermela the Medusa, Trauber the Mountain, and Samuel the Eagle. Their robes swept about them in swaths of technicolor patchwork as they moved about the stage, playing the part of their respective keepers. 
the drum's cadence crescendoed, and soon the stage held twelve minstrels. Kanshan stood in the middle of the stage, urging the audience to get to its feet. Show us your life, he yelled through his mask. The audience roared as everyone in the main hall got to their feet. Let us sing, the muse conducted the audience in a jaunty tune. My heart it was a beating as I watched my gate of fleeting. To you I promised meeting all along that road. A circle of two tomans formed in the middle of the dance hall, and everyone in the village took turns showing off their dance skills. Outside of the circle, couples twirled around one another as the minstrels continued singing. Golden colors carried me toward that sweet canary. I felt that beating harried all along that road. Sir was watching the other villagers within the circle when Vera grabbed him and spun him around. She wrapped her arms around his shoulders and pulled him from the circle and into the fray of dancing couples. It was an incredible sight inside that main hall, where only moments earlier the elders had been locked in a heated debate. Now it seemed impossible that any impending threat of doom and destruction would befall to Toma. Some of the minstrels picked up various instruments, flutes, guitars, tambourines. The instrument's musical influence was felt instantly by the crowd as the singing continued. My mistress, she's an earthling, sanded down to nothing. Tonight I heard her cursing all along that road. This life's quickly fleeting, as my people wished me keeping, but I knew I would be seating her all along that road. The celebration of life, as Kanchion had branded this particular concert, lasted well into the early hours of the morning. Wine and weed had been passed around, and it seemed everyone had enjoyed him or herself to excess. All too quickly, the end of the evening rushed upon the minstrels and the villagers. The smell of sweat and dirt kicked up from the dancing, filled the air with a muskiness usually reserved for lovers' bedrooms. It had come time to play the evening's final song, and Kanchion was out again in full force, my brothers and sisters, he proclaimed, the night is nearly over, and morning surely stretches her gray fingers over this land. Several boos rumbled through the audience, but Kanchon continued, It is time for a final song. As is our custom, we ask our humble hosts to bring forth their unique tune for us to close the concert. Tutoma, who among you shall lead us in your song? Farah, whose sweaty summer dress clung to her body, Looked at Sir and pushed him towards the front of the hall. Sir, she screamed. It should be Sir. Sir's heels dug into the dirt floor as the audience chanted his last name. Seraphin, they cried in unison as the minstrels pulled the farm boy on stage. Sir looked at all of his fellow villagers and ran a hand through his dark mess of hair. In the back of the hall, Sir could see the outline of his uncle, Ward. It was there that something finally clicked for the boy. Ward had had his ability to use magic taken away from that bitch. Who was he referring to? Sir could only think of the Keeper of the Water, Clermela Fervenza. Could the Keeper strip a man of his element? It couldn't be. The story of Nevera, as told by the minstrels and recited to Sir since he could remember, seemed to clear as day. For the power of the elements that are bestowed unto man, let no god tear from him. Sir's mind was being squeezed by these seemingly incompatible realities. Eo, the spark from the sword... Was Ward lying to him about the Elder Seraphim's magic ability? None of it seemed to make sense to Sir as he stood in front of the villagers. The boy's thoughts flooded his reality, but a hand slapped the boy's shoulder, pulling the Tomasi away from his internal monologue. Sir blinked through his oily hair and was met with the face of Tutoma's residence once again. He smiled and coughed a nervousness that only those who asked to sing in front of a large crowd could know. Sir watched the shadow of his uncle float towards the main hall's exit. Sing, sir, 
the minstrel standing next to the boy had said. It was the mask of Tandros that met the boy. Sir cleared his throat and started to sing. Mother, may I weep for you? She wished me fast, asleep and true. The darkness comes to shepherd me, to pay your final due. The crowd cheered after the first verse. Sir smiled and continued the song as the audience chimed in for its remainder. The minstrels, taken aback by the somber tone of the song, slinked away from the boy who now stood in front of his kinsman. The wandering muses shielded their mask's eyes from the boy. Sir raised his arms slightly, and the chorus continued. In the midnight lasting hour, Sir's twinkling glanced in dour. I slept under stars for free, that quickly turned to showers. The song of Tutoma echoed throughout the Kama Valley as they sang. All the trees and hills and animals stood at attention, listening to the voices that emanated from the main hall. Ward had already arrived at the Seraphim's abode by the end of the second verse, Sir continued. Sweeping up to heaven's fury, I watched my wings sing in flurry. We turned it to eleventy, in death there ain't no hurry. Fires flaming fasting, whose powers purely blasting, there ain't no bother asking, this world weren't meant for lasting. Sir stood in silence on the stage. After what seemed like an eternity, the minstrels surrounded the boy and clapped with a sense of melancholy. The audience mimicked the applause. The evening's demeanor had abruptly changed. For the majority of the night, the main hall had been filled with a jubilee of intoxicating color. Now, somber faces looked to the boy who stood on the stage before them. The crowd filtered out of the hall, and Sir jumped down to the ground floor to join them. The song of Tutoma reminded the villagers that the world in which they lived was only temporary. Sir believed the village would thrive for an eternity, but Tuatoma's elders knew better. In fact, everyone in the village knew better. Everyone except for Sir. The young seraphim boy closed the creaky door of his uncle's mud hut and was greeted by the familiar sight of darkness. The boy, surrounded by silence, noticed that Ward had already enjoyed another helping of the vegetable stew. Sir assumed his gray-haired uncle had already retired to his room, leaving the boy with the chore of washing dishes. Sir sighed and walked across the room. He picked up his uncle's bowl on the table and was making his way towards the sink when he heard hushed whimpering. The source of the faint sound came from behind his uncle's bedroom door. Sir dropped the bowl in his hand and it fell onto the floor with a loud thud. The whimpering immediately stopped with the clanking sound of the bowl. Sir crept over to his uncle's bedroom and pressed an ear to the door. Silence. Sir knocked and listened as something rustled within Ward's bedroom. Hey? Sir whispered cautiously. The stillness of the abode greeted Sir's question. The boy pressed. Uncle Ward? He asked. What do you want? Ward sneered from his bedroom. I'm trying to get some sleep here, kid. Uh, apologies, Uncle. I didn't realize... No, no, Ward replied. I'm up now. The elder seraphim pulled open the door as Sir backed away from his uncle. Sir looked up at his uncle, who had seemingly grown ten feet taller. Ward's eyes were bloodshot and filled with a blackened blaze. Oh, no, Sir thought. This asshole's drunk again. He had seen this look from his uncle far too many times in the past. Sir backed away from Ward and continued backpedaling his way towards the kitchen table. Come on, boy, Ward snarled. What did you want? Do you have... tonight? Sir pulled his hands up as his uncle stomped towards him. No, I mean, uh, I mean, yes, it was fun. 
I, I apologize for disturbing you. I thought I had heard something in your room. Oh, you heard someone whimpering like a wounded dog. Was that it? You wanted to know if it was me? Is that it? Well, I guess what, boy? Ward seethed his eyes filled with tears. You got me. That was me, all right. I was holed up in my room. You, you know, kid, you're, you're such an asshole. You have no idea what we've, what I've had to endure to make your life so easy. Sir looked into his uncle's eyes, searching for the man's audacity. Easy? The boy retorted. You call living with you easy? I've worked every single day of my life to make sure this village can sustain itself. What have you done besides play politics with the elders? Ward grabbed Sir by his shirt and pulled the boy closer. Sir smelled the thick scent of wine, tobacco, and vomit on the man's breath. You listen to me, you little punk, Ward growled. You're no better than your mother and father, always fucking things up for the rest of us. When we all die, it'll be your fault. Sir sneered at his uncle. The old man had brought the boy's parents into this fight. It was a topic the old man only mentioned when he was drunk and in the mood to use the boy as a punching bag. No, Sir replied through gritted teeth. When you die, it'll be because of your pride. Tuatoma is full of good people. They'll be better off without you. Boy, I am their leader. They are the seeds of change, Ward screamed. Leader? Seeds? If they're the crop, you're just the shit on top of them, Sir seethed. Ward pulled back his free arm and decked Sir with a firm right hook. Sir lost feeling in his knees and fell into his uncle's arms. Ward immediately let go of the boy's shirt as if it had caught on fire. Sir cried out in pain as he slumped to his knees. He held one hand to the left side of his face, while the other hand motioned for his uncle to yield. Ward spun around to face the silver etching of the woman in the black sword above the mantle. The old man's face, a bright red beacon of anger, subsided into the stark white face of a man filled with regret. He held his hands up to the sword like a beggar, asking for change. Atoma, he Ward whispered, what have I done? With those words still lingering in the air, Ward lumbered back into the, his bedroom in a drunken super. Sir sat on the cold dirt floor of the house and plunged his face into cupped hands. The left side of his face burned from his uncle's assault. The old man had once again ruined a perfectly good evening. Sir had hoped to end the day with a smile on his face. Now, however, he whimpered alone in the darkness. Thank you for listening to the Cosmic Adverse Podcast, Book 1, Fireside Flush. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Feel free to go to iTunes, subscribe, leave us feedback. You can also find us on our website at CosmicAdverse.com. You can find me on Twitter at CosmicAdverse. Otherwise, talk to you next week.